everyone is talking about it, everyone is doing it, and everybody is trying to get in on a slice of the pie. If gravel wasn't the biggest cycling buzzword in 2019, it sure will be in 2020. With the sport's official governing body, the UCI, pushing into the as-of-yet unsanctioned realm, and as we see grassroots events being snapped up and expanded by big players, what the future holds for the scene is anyone's guess. With so many questions, we figured the best way to get the answers might be to go back and ask the simple question, what got us all riding gravel in the first place? And so, that's what we did. This week on Put Your Socks On, we ask, why we ride gravel? G'day and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. We have a great show for you today. My name is Angus Morton and as always, I am joined by the recent gravel convert, Bobby Julik. Bobby, how are you? I'm doing great, Gus. Yeah, yeah, definitely a convert. Really looking forward to this episode because we were able to reach out to so many people, um, unfortunately not all of whom we're able to use their quotes or their audio in the show, but we thank them all for their unique responses. But let me just set the record straight. I am a full-on newbie Cat 5 gravel rider. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I am not. I want to make it clear to the gravel community that I'm not trying to tell you guys anything new. Um, you know, those scratch marks on the back of the bandwagon tailgate, th- those are mine for just jumping on and trying to grasp, you know, what's going on here. But yeah, let's let's try to share our perspective with as many people as possible and hopefully recruit a few more of those people that are on the fence about gravel riding. Um, I think that that'll make sense later in the show. Absolutely, Bobby. But before we look at uh, why we ride gravel, let's take a quick look at what was a pretty exciting week in uh, the sport of professional road cycling. We had the Tour of Colombia, which we spoke on last week, some big expert, uh, expectations for Bernal, who was good, but it was a couple of other younger, uh, well, or sorry, they're all quite young, but uh, a couple of other perhaps not so famous um, Colombians that, that managed to take the spotlight this week. In a nutshell, this was just a race dominated by EF Education First. That stage one team time trial victory just set it off. Stage two, three, and five were won by Juan Sebastian Milano from UAE Emirates. Not only do we have strong Colombian climbers, but now another strong Colombian sprinter coming out of the woodwork. The one thing that I like to see was, you know, stage five, we had Travis McCabe and Colin Joyce up there in the in this in the final sprint finish of that race. Uh, they finished fourth and fifth. But the overall win was impressive. One, two, three podium by EF Education first. You can say they're on fire. Yeah, Sergio Higuita, Danny Martinez. I mean, that whole crew just rode fantastically. And when you go one, two, three in the overall, that's great. Those guys' names are up on the podium, but they also had some great team support. So congratulations to EF Education First for a very dominating performance there. The one kind of thing that fell in between the cracks there a little bit was a 24-year-old Train Torstein from Norway made a big impression on me and is now, I would think, surely on the World Tour team's radar. That was a, a brilliant, brilliant ride by, by Torstein and then the entire EF squad as well. Another big race, 
another big Colombian, the Tour de la Provence. Yeah, uh, this is now kind of a different race. Uh, it's only four stages, and uh, Blani wins his first race in France of the year for his new team, Arkea Samsek. He used to be on Cofidis, and we know he had kind of a tumultuous uh, time there at, at Cofidis. But what I liked about this race was that there were a lot of Americans. We had, you know, Sam Bennett, Sepp Kuss, Will Barta, Chad Haga, Ian Garrison, and uh, Quinn Simmons, who on stage one finished 10th in a in a very tricky little little sprint there. Uh, stage, stage three was the race, and that was up halfway, or about three quarters of the way up Mont Ventoux, and Nairo Cantana just absolutely dropped the hammer. And here we go, after we're talking about Tour Colombia and how good the Colombians are going, over in Europe, Nairo's doing the same thing. So very, very impressive. On that stage up to Mont Ventoux, Sepp Kuss was sixth place. That's a phenomenal result. I don't know how many times he's raced up Mont Ventoux if he ever has, but that's a very, very special climb and it's great that he got that sort of experience. Stage four for me was super exciting because Ian Garrison gets his first podium as a pro. So in his first race as a pro, on Decoinic Quick Step, he gets a podium spot. So he was in that group of four and wound up getting third. Man, I can't say enough about this kid. It's gonna be super exciting. He's on a great team. He's a super kid, huge engine. So lo really looking forward to his development as a pro. And in the overall, we had Sepp Kuss finish eighth overall, and that's that's good signs for, for the future. He's in obviously good condition. He is. He finished the season off really well last year and I think uh, took a big step forward. So good to see him already mixing it up uh, and we'll, you know, probably have a big, I'm expecting a big year from him this year. Uh, there was a couple of smaller but equally as important races on uh, during the week as well. The first of which was the Tour of Mercia or Mercia. Tell me about that one. Yeah, that's a simple, uh, I think it's a truncated race now. It's down to like two stages. The first stage was won by Zandrio Maurice. We remember this guy from the tour last year. Um, I'm actually surprised that he isn't on a world tour team, but uh, he won stage one and wound up taking the overall. And the other race that was on, which I thought was, uh, well, I didn't know at the time, but that was really interesting. And I believe this was your first European pro race, Bobby, the Trofeo Laguelia. Yes, Trofeo Laguelia. Uh, if m my memory serves me correct, this was my first race in Europe in 1995, and I absolutely just got throttled. So much so that I wound up getting sick that evening, and we were supposed to go to the next race, which I believe was the Tour of Hovar. And they, my team, Motorola, left me in some janky-ass hotel in Italy, and basically... I had no contact with the outside world besides maybe the cleaning lady for, for two and a half days. And let me tell you, when the doctor and the director came to pick me up on the way back up to, to Como, Italy, after the Hovar race was over, I, I don't think I, it was like Santa Claus, seeing Santa Claus for the first time. It was, it was absolute joy uh, that I wasn't going to be left there for all eternity. The, the race was won by Giulio Ciccone, who was the KOM from the Giro of last year. Very, very strong results. And the American of note, Larry Warboss, finished in a strong 17th place, basically in that, that second group there. So good to see Larry riding strong. A big week from the Americans there. Uh, and the final week that was on, the final race that was on this week was the Classica Almera, a, a pretty big sprinter's race, early season to test the fast men. Yeah, this has always been one of those sprinter races. Pascal Ackerman from Bora won ahead of Christoph and Viviani. So 
um, there's another sprinter that's that's firing on all cylinders already. And that's a big win for him over a couple of pretty good guys. This week we have uh, the Volta Algarve, uh, which Vanderpol is back on the road. So that'll be exciting to see him. We have the Ruta della Sol, and a big race this week is the UAE Tour. And one of the reasons for that is, aside from being a very stacked general classification field, it's the first World Tour race from Chris Froome, who's had a bit of a uh, up and down sort of comeback trail. He left a team camp early, a little bit uh, at the at the end of last year, you know, sparking a bit of speculation as to how well he was doing. But it'll be interesting to see him line up next week on the UAE start line. Yeah, that race is not going to be a joke. Uh, there's three uphill finishes, and two of them are quite long. So it'll be really interesting to see how Chris and all those other GC favorites are, you know, are doing this time of year. It will be. And that brings us to this week's feature, Bobby. Everyone's talking gravel. It's dirty cans of this, Belgian waffle that, 40C tires here, tubeless PSI there. <laughs> But with all this conversation about the burgeoning world of gravel, does this newly categorized discipline run the risk of going the ways of the past? Or are we seeing a new version of our two-wheeled endurance sport that will take us in a new direction coming into the future? Yeah, with so many questions surrounding what gravel is and where it is headed, we figured the best way to get to the bottom of all this might be to go back and look at where it started for those who participate in it, for those that do it for a living, that race for a living, to those that enjoy it just as a quieter, less traditional route of bike travel. And so that's exactly what we did. We asked a bunch of fellow riders what got us all riding gravel in the first place. Uh, a few reasons. Like first, number one is uh, safety, and that's probably uh, a lot of the reasons why people ride gravel. You just don't have to contend with cars when you're out on gravel, and cars these days means distracted drivers. Taking a dirt road or when you're not sharing it with cars um, just creates a such a unique and um, enjoyable experience where you're immersed with the terrain around you, getting into places that people in cars driving and highways on the main touring routes or whatever don't get to see. Give you some thoughts on why I like gravel riding. I've just been doing it now, just started doing it in the past year. And the main thing is obviously just the the freedom that it gives you with the lack of cars and just feeling a little more free and less inhibited. You know, it's it's safer, right? When you're riding on those uh, secondary roads around, there's just not there's not any there's not any traffic there. Um, I think the the bigger worry is probably dogs coming out and chasing you. <laughs> so you're f- off road, you're away from cars and traffic and stoplights, stop signs, just kind of farther away from society. So it it kind of feels like you're on an adventure and. For that, I think it's also safer because you're less likely to deal with cars and traffic. Um, I've just been doing it now, just started doing it in the past year. And the main thing is obviously just the the freedom that it gives you and just feeling a little more free and less inhibited. But uh, I was riding with some friends yesterday. We do a a Thursday night gravel ride and uh, country roads and we're laughing half the time. And it just, we were talking about how it made us feel like we're 13 years old. And that feeling that you had of freedom on a bike when you were a teenager or, or sort of even preteen of riding on a bike with friends. And we all agreed it sort of felt like that. And uh, gravel riding is just a blast. And I, I think it just sort of opened up the world of riding uh, to, 
to me and to my group, and uh, I love it. It's a really special experience, and and it's also doable. It's not too too hard, and um, it's not too easy either. So it's a nice blend of of difficulty. Thing that I think is so cool about gravel that I tell people why they got to try it is that um, you can show up to an event and you can race it or you can participate and everybody's there really because given how much of an endurance event is um, you're you're, you know you're really racing against yourself you're maybe racing against others a little bit but tactics and things like that that you'd see in road racing are just are really minimalized a lot unless you're at the very pointy end of the race which uh with how with the popularity of the events now you know most of us don't have the time to train to be able to participate there gravel racing is definitely stimulating the bike shop economy uh, boost for retail sales and the opportunity for consumers to add yet another type of bike to their arsenal i think one of the other benefits that i see for gravel is that it's taking us to places that are relatively unexplored i mean how often these days can you go on a ride that is hours and hours long that takes you into gorgeous places and there's no Strava segments? You know, you, you're you going out and doing you with a few hundred to a thousand of your best friends and you're all um, celebrating cycling together and, and the adventure together and, and something that you wouldn't normally undertake together in these gravel events. These uh these gravel adventures are, they're pretty hardcore, um, you know, and, and it's about you finding how you want to compete, whether it's against others or with yourself to even finish these things. And uh, we're going to come together afterwards and celebrate that achievement or commiserate with that achievement. The great thing about having a beer is it's good for celebrating. It's good for commiserating. So we're going to, you know, all go do this together and, and come back afterwards and have a good time. And um, that's it's, it's a really supportive community at the moment. I think the other aspect that I really enjoy is the fact when you're out there riding here on the front range on, in Colorado Springs, uh, just a better sense of being more in touch with nature, whether it's seeing a coyote run across a, the gravel road in front of you or coming up on a rattlesnake that's... Uh, trying to warm itself up in the morning sun. And it, when you're riding gravel, you can just ride. You don't really have to think too much about the technical aspect. So it's a little less intimidating for a lot of cyclists. So anyway. What's really cool is that it's just how welcoming the events are, how much of a community it is. Uh, you know, everybody is there really just trying to post a new PR, right? And it's a mass start event, which is so cool. Like when you're rolling out with... 2,000 people on the road, it's just, you you just don't get that in other types of racing. And you kind of have this sense that everybody's in it together from the very front of the race, you know, where you may have pro guys, to the very back of the race, and just the party at the end, uh, celebrating everybody finishing the event um, is always just so engaging and rewarding and interesting to me. So what I love about gravel racing and riding is that I think it's kind of a mix between both road biking and cross-country off-road mountain bike riding because I think that gravel is kind of a mix between the two. I just think it's so much fun and I think it's a discipline that will suit me pretty well. So for that reason, first and foremost, I'm excited to be doing more gravel riding and racing it feels like the wild west right now and just the expansiveness of opportunity for people to design courses and and have just the creativity to throw a couch down in the middle of the road as a photo opportunity Uh, have a race run through somebody's living room 
to do whatever they, they want. And I, I just love that. Wherever it is you're gravel riding, um, you just kind of feel like you're exploring and just on a fun adventure, whether you're solo or with other people. I just think that's amazing and a great alternative to riding on the roads. My name is Jada Palace, and I'm a professional bike racer for Team 2020. Bobby, some pretty interesting uh, answers there. And I would say, given that, you know, given people like Chris Carmichael, uh, Nicola from Team 2020, um, some unexpected stories uh, as to why people ride their bikes on the gravel. Um, for me, my big takeaways uh, from just listening and, and talking to everybody were firstly, safety. I suppose it's um, not a surprise that almost everyone mentioned it as a reason they choose you know, these more secluded roads uh, over the increasingly uh, paved roads. And I think that's, that's probably gonna be a big, particularly for like parents and their children. Um, reality is, you know, roads are getting more busy and there's sort of two ways we can go about it. It's either more bike paths, which there is, um, or it's just choose more secluded roads and, and those roads tend to be gravel. So I think that, uh, yeah, that's, that that's what I'll be doing is, is sticking to the gravel. The second thing I think, um, was even those who make their living off of competing on the gravel didn't really mention racing or certainly winning, uh, and, and the opportunities around that as the main reasons why they do it. Um, those who did mention competition seem to get more excited about the community that it brings together and the opportunity to kind of sit with everyone after a race and reminisce. Um, and so I, find, I found that really interesting as well because we're seeing quite a few World Tour riders start to dabble in the, in the gravel scene or even you know completely move over um, to the gravel scene, yet it seems as though it's it's not solely motivated by victory. It's not that desire to win a national championship or a world championship. Uh, it seems to to, to more to, to be to belong to a community that represents them and that they believe in. I guess. Um, what about you? What did you find interesting about uh, about the interviews? To me, it was just the tone, the way, the the vibe, that spiritual connection to the outdoors that you know, everyone had a little bit different of a story, but that's what makes it so interesting. You know, all types of people out there, that's for sure. The two things that really stood out to me was from Matt Acarino when he basically said, most of the roads in the world are not paved. That is fantastic. And um, probably my favorite like little tidbit out of there was from Pete Stetna when he said, you wrong what you brung. Which I'm not sure I totally understand that, but it sounds really, really good. And yeah, man, life is a journey. Just enjoy the ride. You're totally right, and I think that's something like like to both of those points, right? Um, gravel is unique in that it hasn't developed out of a racing league, um, and so participants, like the people who kind of just ride gravel, haven't really been inspired or encouraged to do so because there's like they have these heroes that race. Um, within a league or within a championship um, that's covered by the media and there's no real stars to follow to show them the way to ride so it started with people just getting out there and doing it um, and and as we spoke last week uh, we, we spoke last week with Jerry Gruber who post um, uh, post our chat with him he was talking about gravel riding because he's a, a, a big a big gravel rider and, and he was speaking about unsanctioned events and organizing his own rides and and that's exactly it like a lot of these races sprung up because they were unsanctioned group rides that had different formats that were a way for friends to have healthy competition right 
Um, and so anyway, so I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I found it interesting. Nicola uh, mentioned that, uh, well, she sort of specifically said that she really liked sending her, her team to gravel races because the UCI weren't involved and these sanctioning bodies weren't involved. And so it allowed people to be creative with the formats. And I'm in, it's interesting to see these big, uh, well, the UCA and UCI, sorry, and these big um, management companies that are starting to push, starting to push their way into the scene, um, and uh, particularly when the scene's kind of developed, uh, sort of in spite of the way that those types of organisations have developed the sport on the road. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that does. I feel like um, I know I, I feel like that, that that the scene's pretty healthy, and I think it will be fine. Um, I think it offers. The future of cycling, the future of cycling, an opportunity to take it back, um, and and back to that to that point that a lot of people made, which was about the freedom of riding, um, that feeling like you're 13 years old again, and engaging in like a level of healthy competition. Um, so anyway, so it'll be yeah, I'm really excited to see uh, how it develops over the years. I think cycling's been looking for like a breakaway league um, to kind of challenge the status quo, and I hope that comes out of the gravel scene. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this goes over the next few years. With that said, Bobby, uh, do you think the UCI should be involved? Um, it is a bit of a wild west out there and I know that more and more of these events are springing up. Do we need control? Do we need some level of rules? Again, I don't want to speak for the gravel community because I'm such a, a newbie at it. But when I read on when, when I read the words "Do not call us, we will not come rescue you," event promoters <laughs> and sponsors are not responsible for your safety and well-being. That makes me think that there has to be some sort of involvement <laughs> by by a governing body. I, I'm not sure that the UCI gets the whole picture when it comes to gravel, but I think there needs to be some rules, some regulations, some sort of governing body, but I don't want to get throw my hat into that ring because I just don't understand the, the gravel world as much as the people that have been doing it for years and years and years do. But um, that sentence makes me a little bit nervous. That's <laughs> See, I read that and that's the allure. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I feel like down with the governing body and let it be a free-for-all. Um, but then again... You know, I'm not necessarily the most responsible of adults. Bobby, as I said at the head of the show, you're a self-professed recent gravel convert. I want to hear from you. Why do you ride gravel? As soon as I moved here to Greenville, George and Christian Vanneveld mentioned getting a gravel bike, and I just said, nope. Um, then I went on vacation two years later, like in the summer of 2018, and I went to Tuscany and just happened to run into Ashley and Jared Gruber, who were also staying at my buddy's place up there. And Jared made all the routes. He is a fantastic route maker, by the way, but he always seemed to be not intimidated by connecting the route with gravel sections. And it was fun at the time because it was in Tuscany and the Strada Bianca roads are so fantastic, but I still didn't get it. Although this is the first time that I actually saw a real gravel bike. Ashley, Ashley had her gravel bike there. And I just kind of thought to myself, well, isn't that the same thing as a cross bike? I, I just didn't get it. But then again, when living here in Greenville, 
there were some dirt roads and every time we'd hit a dirt road, it just seemed like the guys that I was riding with, the pace would go up 15% and sure enough, we'd be dealing with flats. So I still didn't get it. Then last year in, I believe May of 2019, George sent me a text saying, we're gonna do Boyd's birthday ride this year. I didn't know anything about what it was, but obviously it was gravel. I told him I don't have a bike, I'm not doing it. Long story short, he got me a bike and I just was finding ways to get out of it. So I said, okay, I'll try it out. So he brought it up to his house. I went up there. First thing I looked at was the crank arms. I was hoping that the crank arms wouldn't be the same as same size as mine, but they were. I was hoping that as soon as I got on the bike that it would feel really janky, but it was actually quite comfortable. Yeah, we decided to go out and do a, a recon ride. So we started at Hotel Domestique and rode on the road a little bit. And right as we hit the gravel, I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. But then honestly, one kilometer in, I flatted. And, you know, that just was not the best start for me. But, you know, we fixed the first flat, went for another five or 10K, had another flat. I wound up having four flat tires. The only problem was we only had three tubes. So, so we had to call the, the general manager of Hotel Domestique and he had to come get me with, with the car. So I was done. I was like, you know what? This isn't, this isn't for me. I, I can't deal with all these flat tires. But when I got home, I had all these tubes and I started looking at them and all of the, the flats, all the, all the holes were in the same place. And when I put it back on the rim, I noticed that there was a burr on the rim tape. So I said, okay, maybe, maybe I give this another shot. So we went on the... Uh, the birthday ride, and it it was it was phenomenal. It, you know, just talking on the pavement, and as soon as we hit the the gra first gravel section, it was full gas, absolutely scorching. But it was fun, and it didn't last too long. They had like these little time segments, and after you know, I think it was a hundred k we did. Uh, got back, and I was like, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm starting to get it now. Maybe I'm starting to get it. And if, like a month later, it was George's birthday ride and he wanted to do a gravel ride. So I'm an ambassador for Pinarello and I called up Pinarello USA and asked for a bike, which um, I, I wasn't planning on them saying yes. But they did give me a bike. And from the first pedal stroke on my new gravel bike, I, I couldn't stop smiling. First of all, okay, the bike is amazing, but something had finally clicked in my head. Like I finally got it. And since then, I've enjoyed it more and more. Riding with my buddies is definitely the, the best part of it. And I figured, you know, why not try a couple events? So we did an event up in Asheville, which was a little bit too hard for me. Uh, I was trying to keep up with George and that was a bad, uh, bad decision. But then we also did uh, an event that you and I did together down in Patagonia, the spirit world right. down in Arizona. And that event really showed me what the gravel community is all about. And I'm so happy that I was able to experience that. Now, any chance I get, I'm ready to hit the gravel. And like I said, I'm a Cat 5 gravel guy, but happy to be learning more and more about this amazing sport of gravel riding. And so what's different for you about gravel uh, to the road? Like, or, you know, is it, is, it, is it where you're at in your life? Or I don't know, you know, it seems as though like a lot of people are kind of converting. What, what, what's different? Yeah, I mean, I rode the road my entire career. I loved, you know, I'd go on my mountain bike. I had a cyclocross bike. So the road gave me a lot. There's no doubt about that. But, 
you know, after all, you're, you're still pedaling a bike. So it's very, very similar to, you know, the gravel bike and the road bike are quite similar, but I am getting older and it's more about the participation, not the pace for me. Mm -hmm. uh, spending time with my friends or meeting new people are, is more important than the competition. I was actually riding gravel yesterday with George, his son, Enzo, who this was his first ever gravel ride and a few other friends, one of which was on a, on an e-bike. So e-bikes are, are definitely good for the, you know, having that camaraderie because like you want all your buddies there. And this guy happened to be able to keep up with us because he had an e-bike and I just felt happy. I felt free. There was this sense of exploration, of adventure, of camaraderie. And I think everyone was feeling the same thing. You know, I grew up riding a BMX style bike in the, in the dirt lot behind my house in Glenwood Springs, Colorado with my buddies. And yesterday made me feel like that again, like a kid. And um, the best part of it was when I ride out on the road now, I don't ride without my, my Garmin Varia rear taillight. And as I was putting the bike, my gravel bike in the back of the car to go out and meet these guys for the ride, I said, you know what? I don't need that today. And that, that, was, that was a great feeling that I didn't have to worry about as many cars. With that said, Bobby, uh, that brings us to the end of another show. I would like to hear from our fans. Do, I mean, that's the question that's being asked. Is the UCI um, and, and governing bodies, are they needed within the gravel world? I am interested, interested to hear uh, what our fans have to say about that. But I'm more interested to hear, why do our fans ride on the gravel? Um, I think that's a conversation that we need to or a question that we need to keep coming back to so that we don't lose sight of why we started riding our bikes to begin with, right? Um, so please, get in contact with us on Twitter is probably the best spot, at Physopod, P-Y-S-O-P-O-D. Um, otherwise, you can get at me on Instagram, at that is Gus, uh, or Bobby, at Bobby Julik. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, I want to give a shout out this week to everybody who made the show possible. Bobby, who uh, who was that? We had a huge list this week. Yeah, uh, sp guys, thanks for the for listening to the show. Uh, thanks everyone for their help giving us some some material and some very unique responses. But I'd like to give a special shout out to to Dirk Friel, Pete Stetna, Matt Acarino, Drew Cordapella, Kenny Carlson. Shauna Paulus, Chris Carmichael, JJ Schwartz, John Beely, Georgine Cappy even gave us a little tidbit here and there. Xander Alt from, from the um, Spirit World 100, Nicola Cranmer, and definitely, as always, our producer, Eddie Rogers. Thank you, guys. Uh, you can get, you can listen to the pod uh, over at velonews.com as well as get a bunch of other great cycling journalism. Um, you can, if you if you don't already, you should subscribe to the show. Uh, it's available on Apple Podcasts under Put Your Socks On. If you already are a subscriber, get your friends to subscribe. Get everybody to subscribe. That person you're walking past in the street, stop them. Get them to subscribe. We really appreciate the support. Uh, we really appreciate appreciate your contributions as well. So please keep all of that coming. Um, and, and until next week, that's all from us. I'm Angus Morton. And I'm Bobby Julik. Don't forget to put your socks on.